Hello, this is Allison Carter, Occupational Therapist with the Milestones Podcast. This is episode 98, and today I have a special show for you. The show today features Matthew and Carol Newell, founders and directors of the Family Hope Center in Norristown, Pennsylvania. They are also co-authors of a book titled Healing Your Child's Brain. Matthew holds advanced certifications in child brain development, dynamic postural reflex integration, structural integration, cranial sacral therapy, myofascial release, acunova acupuncture, muscular biofeedback, UN method, body talk, food and environmental sensitivity clearing, fascial energetics, and quantum laser reflex integration. And Carol is a graduate of the Infant Parent Mental Health Fellowship at the University of Massachusetts in Boston and has additional training in So Listen to Modest, Fast Forward, Applied Behavior Analysis, and Relationship Development Intervention. Before I get started with the interview, let let me remind you that you can support this show by doing a couple of different things. One of them is by purchasing CEUs of the show on my website at mymidwesttherapy.com. Not only does that help me out, but you also get the benefit of completing some of your license requirements. Look for the yellow Add to Cart buttons under specific episodes. You can also help by doing your online shopping using one of my Amazon links on my website. That includes any of the items that I've listed like toys that are on there under Amazon. Just click on the toy and it will take you to Amazon. Finally, become a Patreon member and you will receive additional member-only benefits by joining. You can click the Patreon button on my website or just go to patreon.com. It's P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com and search Milestones Podcast. Now, before I start playing the interview for you, I want to say that the audio may sound a little different when I'm speaking versus when Matthew and Carol speak, and I would just want to say that I'm sorry about that. That is my fault. It has been such a long time since I've done an interview on here that I haven't perfected the audio quite yet, so please bear with me if there seem to be a few extra sounds or some slight changes in the audio as you listen. I really think it turned out fine, and you may or may not really have even noticed it, but I just wanted to mention the Newells did a really great job speaking, and none of the audio issues came from their end whatsoever. Um, I think you will enjoy listening to their perspective on helping families and children who have neurological challenges. So here you go. Okay, well, um, I'm Matthew Newell, and just Cal Newell. We uh, have been working together with children and adults with neurological challenges for close to 40 years now. Uh, we started working with adults um, ranging in age from 16 to 35 and um, organizing the neurological systems. And we had adults who were uh, Downs, had diagnosis with Downs, diagnosis with autism, diagnosis with hemiplegia, diagnosis with traumatic brain injury, um, car accidents and encephalitis and meningitis at adults. Um, and um, we ran a school for many, many years, um, training uh, the neurological pathways and really getting into the roots of the brain. 
Um, we worked for an organization that was nonprofit for 20 years. Um, I was the clinical director of that organization. We saw maybe a thousand kids a year. We traveled around the world and saw kids. And Carol was working. Um, I worked in the, in the physical world where kids who were paralyzed, um, getting them to move through the developmental stages onto, onto genetic developmental stages. As we all know, babies crawl on their belly, combat crawl on their belly, then they get up on their hands and knees and creep, and then they walk and then they run. My role was to retrain the brain so the children could go from a wheelchair to back to the developmental stages onto walking. And in some cases, running, depending on their severity of injury, and also to develop the respiratory systems along top of that and their reflexes. Carol spent most of her time um, in the sensory pathways, and um, and so we started our we started our own clinic 20 years ago called the Family Hope Center, where we see families from 34 countries. We've been in six continents. We've been teaching and guiding and supporting parents, which is really our client is the parent, um, from a diagnosis of blind, deaf, paralyzed, trachin to medications for seizures where they get pulled in from a hospital all the way through every single diagnosis that people are talking about these days, including all the genetic ones, all the way up to working with adults with dementia and um, with Alzheimer's and strokes. So the whole range of neurological complications that will challenge an individual, we develop strategies and teach and support parents to restore the central nervous system and guide them. And um, yeah, we have a full team of, of uh, clinicians and doctors working together as a team to kind of come up with a comprehensive, bottom-up, inside-out, organic, therapeutic approach to um, restore the brain and heal the brain and develop the brain to the extent that the parents want us to um, work with them on that. And Carol, your expertise. Yeah, so my expertise, I started actually before Matthew and I started working together in the school that he mentioned where we were working with young adults. I started working um, in early childhood education. So that's my initial background is with little ones um, and worked in several different um, facilities working with babies and single moms and helping and supporting them. Um, identifying challenges with children, always gravitating towards children with, with that had special needs and uh, and supporting those families. And uh, start, I trained in England and uh, came over to the U.S. Uh, before Matthew and I met and we met here. Um, so my background really is early early childhood, but once I started to get the view of the brain and realize, okay, I can develop a lot of strategies to support parents and guide them in, in developing their children. But if we're not looking at the brain and how the brain develops, then uh, things don't work so well. So um, so really having that piece at its core and then layering on um, the, uh, you know, knowing the developmental stages of a child is really important. And then uh, being able to address the issues that get in the way and cause the brain to get stuck at a certain stage and the child therefore developmentally gets stuck at a certain stage. And, and what do we do? Um, so, yes. So, um, one of the main things that we do at our center is that we evaluate the neurological system and we map out the brain. 
Um, and as you can tell from our book, uh, we actually go through multiple chapters on how does the brain work and what levels of the brain control what functions and what domains there are that we really should be evaluating. Like we should evaluate the visual domain, the auditory domain, the tactile domain, the mobility domain, the manual domain, the language domain, and the emotional domain, the limbic brain, which we know controls 40% of your brain through your sense of smell. So when we look at the developmental stages, which is like from birth all the way to adulthood, we have a chart that is able to evaluate the neurological capacity of each of those domains. And then when you add those all up, all those seven domains, and you divide by seven and all those domains, you come up with an aggregate neurological age, which we talk about in the book. So you could, you could evaluate a six-year-old or a 12-year-old or a 25-year-old child who is, you know, on the spectrum or has attention deficit disorder and still living at home, or you can evaluate a three-month-old and you can come up with, okay, what, how is this child's neurology being displayed through his medulla oblongata, all his 25 reflexes, his pons, his midbrain, basal ganglia, his cortex, and his limbic brain? And then really map out what are we actually seeing globally in this child? What is the degree and extent of the injury that this child has in the central nervous system, which people are going to diagnose as ADD, ADHD, PDD, post-traumatic stress disorder, obsessive compulsive disorder, autism, cerebral palsy, rats, whatever diagnosis that is the popular one that we're using today to describe an injury, we discount them as if they're non-scientific. We look at what is the neurological system displaying right now in this child's brain. And then once we map it out and we see it and we do it with the parents, obviously, we teach them, then we can go and say, okay, which areas of the brain do we need to spend the most amount of time to repair and restore and develop? And it's usually the bottom. It's usually because the brain develops from the bottom up, the medulla the pons, the midbrain, then the cortex, and the limbic brain, and then the cerebellum. As it develops, where do we need to put our time developing the 25 reflexes or do certain things? And we find that when we start from the bottom of the brain and work our way up, the children make spectacular progress. And as we teach the parents, this is how your child presents. This is what we're going to do. And we develop a strategy that is physiologically basic, we could put the kids on really tight food things like gluten-free or sugar-free, obviously, or some dyes and processed foods, and some kids are really sensitive to molds and, you know, cheese and, and things like that. So we have a really good diet. We have a respiratory program that we give them to improve dopamine within the brain. We give them physical programs that are going to grow the lower levels of the brain and mature those. We're going to give them intellectual programs, social programs. So we actually, our team builds a program that's going to address the most important needs for the child. And then we teach it and videotape it with the parents and then they go home and they do those. And every month they're communicating with us through videos and emails and what, you know, those kind of ways which we communicate. And then we continually support and guide them and make sure that they're carrying out implementing strategies, you know, in a high quality way. Um, yeah. yeah, I really 
I like that approach a lot because, um, uh, you know, working in early intervention in people's homes with them, that's the type of thing that, that I'm used to doing and a lot of people that, that listen to this show will do is, you know, teach the parent and coach the parent um, to the best of, you know, whatever our team's knowledge is um, uh, and to help them so that they can help their own child at home. So um, I like that, that strategy a lot. Can you talk about who's, who's um, on the team? Yeah, definitely. We have a comprehensive team, and, um, and that's really important because, you know, the variety of different um, challenges that the children come with um, can be very complex, and sometimes they can be less complex. But having a team who all get to look at the child along with the parent to know, okay, exactly what's the biggest challenge with this child. So we have a doctor and nutritionist on our team. Uh, so we're always looking at the physiology of the child. So there may be some really important developmental stages that uh, we would look at at the evaluation and say, okay, we've evaluated this child. These are the challenges the child's having, but we can't get through that until the physiology is, is solved first. Uh, the, the child's got health issues or the child has seizures. We've got to address that along with the parents first and work on sleep issues or eating issues or whatever it might be, digestive, digestive issues. issues. So those things. Medication. Yeah. So there are a lot of physiological things that can hold things back. So it's really important to have a doctor and nutritionist on the team that's also helping and supporting and guiding. They don't become, our doctor on our team doesn't become the child's medical doctor. They stay with their specialist, but she helps them and guides them and navigates the, the, the system to help the parent because you know, some of the children have such complex issues that they're going to multiple different doctors and they're not sure, what do I do first? So they, our doctors and nutritionists help to guide them and support them through that. Uh, we have specialists on our team who are very focused on the sensory areas, so tactile oversensitivity, again, with feeding issues, might be an oral sensitivity, and we need to address those things, or it could be a smell sensitivity. The child might not want to eat, but it could be because they don't smell well, they don't, or they don't like the smell of food, or they don't like the texture of food. So we're identifying which of those things is the challenge, and then therefore we then develop a treatment plan specifically for that. Um, and also bearing in mind that some children who have feeding issues, of course, have had traumatic experiences with tube feeding or whatever in hospital, and therefore you've got those things you're addressing as well. So really understand the complexities of the challenge that that baby or child comes with. Um, and then we have an education piece, too, where um, we're addressing the education side and helping parents to develop at-home strategies, to develop at-home home, homeschooling if they're choosing to homeschool or supporting the school uh, program that their child might be in. What, you know, if they say, well, my child's in school, but I know they need extra help. How do we identify? Should we be working on the neurology only and not worry about the school right now because they're just going to be spinning their wheels? The child's not ready to be learning math yet and helping the child to be able to prioritize or, uh, or parents to prioritize or no we are really ready for adding math in and how do we do that uh, with specific challenges that the child um, might be having so a very um, you know comprehensive program and helping the parents to know there are multiple components and how do you prioritize those things right and I think one of the important things is to teach the parents the concept of neuroplasticity that the yeah. brain will grow by use 
the more you stimulate a particular part of the brain with frequency, intensity, and duration, the more it will grow. For instance, yesterday I saw a child who was 18 months ago was completely blind. And yesterday he was able to identify different pictures. Um, and he didn't have any words of understanding. And 18 months later, he can understand about 150 words. He can identify pictures. He's no longer, you know, in a state of absolute tragic, you know, formations where he was bowing his body into this hypostonic state. His legs were used to be crossed. He sweated all day. He cried all day. And now he's smiling. And now he's doing many different things. And it took 18 months to get to that point. If you teach parents, look, this is a marathon. This is a process. We've got to breathe here. This is the first step. This is the second step. This is third step. Then you really get a parent to a point where they get out of their own post-traumatic stress disorder. The kids and the rest of the family members get out of post-traumatic stress disorder, seeing their brothers and sisters in such a tragic state and sad that nothing can, can go on. And we methodically start to unwrap the brain piece by piece and say, look, the brain grows, not a mystery. It doesn't depend on how, how hurt the child is. It can change. What we learned over 40 years is that the parents are the central piece. We can all have all the knowledge in the world, but if we don't impart that knowledge to parents in a way in which they can grab it and use it, then there, nobody's really going to win here. So if we as therapists really focus on did we educate the parents in that the brain grows by use and here's where you start and don't you know do this first do this second then we can methodically unwrap the brain and teach them and they go from being you know really fearful and hysterical and sad to a kind of peace like okay i think i can do this if you stand by me i can do this and I, I'm qualified by definition because I love the kid. And I may not understand the brain and have a PhD in occupational therapy or a PhD, but I can be learning from you on how to do it. And if you hold my hand a little bit and you guide me and coach me, I think I can do this with you together as a team. And so we find parents from 34 different countries, no matter what their education is, we can we can reconstruct we can start from where they understand it and we can construct a way for them to be able to be at the front of the table you know and really see the whole thing yeah 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 um and then that's exactly the philosophy that that we use too and um the nice thing is that the parents don't have to know they don't have to know everything about OT or PT or nutrition, um, they just have to know what applies to their situation. And that's, you know, that's the nice thing for us is that we can just help them see that, that piece for their individual child. Um, and let them just focus, like you said, focus on that. Um, and, uh, learn what they need to know and what's relevant to them. And, and, you know, it's, it's, like I said, it's what we do and what we try to do um, because if we're not helping them with their, their specific um, questions or concerns or the things that are going on with their child, then what are we doing? We're, we're not helping them at all. They're not going to be interested in, 
and taking our suggestions on other things that we might think maybe are important, but they're not really as important to the family uh, or to what's affecting them on their daily exactly. lives. So they need to know that you're in partnership with them. And, and which is why, you know, when we, before we take a client, before we take a family full time, while well, we've been teaching a three-day parent training, which is now online, and we've taught that to thousands of parents where we said, okay, this is how the brain works. This is how you measure it. This is about nutrition. This is how you get breathing. In. This is how you develop the sensory pathways. This is how you create boundaries for your child emotionally. This is how you, what physical programs are you going to do to grow chunks of brain to gain the neurological capacities of understanding and, and, and uh, self-regulation and tracking with your eyes. And, you know, we, teach them in this training so that they can go, oh, now I get it. And then we sit down with them and then we develop a program for them. So we were, we've were we been all over the world many times teaching in different countries. And we thought, you know what, we're going to put this all online. Um, well, and, we in finished, our, yeah, and in our book. We, we finished the book. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. And um, which, you know, as you know, when you write a book, it's, it's all the, you just can't take tons of clinical time out of your life. You have to do it in the weekends, in the evenings, because you got, you got kids to see. We're seeing, you know, all these kids, right? So, but we put all of our training online so the parents can grab that and do it within their capacity. Instead of coming to Philadelphia or coming to South Africa or Denmark or Hong Kong or wherever we're teaching these days, they can go online and they can watch it, download it, show it to their husband, Show it to, you know, their aunts and uncles, their older siblings, so they can be informed. So they can go, oh, that's why he doesn't focus. That's why. Oh, combat crawling helps him to focus, helps him to track with his eyes. He doesn't have a bad eye. He doesn't have a wandering eye. He has a strabismus, and that comes from that lateral rectus muscle, which comes out of the pons. And he never really crawled on his belly. He just dragged his legs or he rolled for transportation. Oh, so if I go back and crawl on his belly, I'll help him self-regulate. I'll stimulate the parts of the brain and help him not pee his pants at night. I'll help him track with his vision so he can read. Oh, and it controls his mouth and his tongue. Oh, so speech therapy can be supported and speeded up if I combat crawl, because that generates all the neurology around his tongue, now I understand the importance of combat crawling. I thought it was a waste of time, and I couldn't wait till my kids walk. So when they see that, the reason why I would do that, and then they look at the reasons why it's really good to have a toe dig, the Babinski reflex, and how that stimulates 11 reflexes. How combat crawling stimulates 11 primary reflexes in the brain, Oh, that's why I should do it with good quality as opposed to being sloppy. Oh, bingo, 100 days later of 100 yards, the kid starts to track with his vision. He starts to pay attention. He starts to focus. He starts um, to regulate his behavior when he gets upset. He can downregulate himself as opposed to being, you know, distracted by it or whatever and he stops shaking and starts you know really sitting down to people and filtering with his ears he doesn't put his hands over his ears anymore because the reticular formation filters sound and if you don't combat crawl you don't get that ability oh i don't need to have headphones on him his whole life yes 
So when we teach parents that, they feel overjoyed that there's a mechanism that is well, and how well kids get well, we just got to put the herd kids on the same pathway. But only, it's a little bit more intense, obviously. Yeah, with just that crawling example, I mean, that's one just basic, basic activity um, that even some people just take take for granted um, as just a whatever, um, not that big of a deal. And that is probably one of the biggest deals in um, in the milestone development and just in in development completely um, with that age. Exactly. I think it's more important than walking. I don't think if you don't crawl on your belly in a cross pattern with a toe dig. And you don't creep on your hands and knees. You don't creep on your hands and knees in a cross pattern with both your knees down, not with one knee up, because you have these dermatomes and they're building with natrins and they guide signals to the brain. If you don't go through that ontogenetic process with enough frequency, intention, duration, you can't program your hard drive. And those two activities program at least 17 different infant primary reflexes, like hand supporting and head riding and all those important ones. And when you stand up to walk, you got a solid foundation. Your feet work, your hips work, your neck works, your shoulder works, you have coordination. Now you have depth perception because you can't converge with your vision unless you creep on your hands and knees. There's no amount of visual stimulation that you're going to improve a kid unless you go back to creeping on your hands and knees. And you could do, if you do them both together, boom, boom. If you're just trying to do the visual stem without creeping on your hands and knees, you don't win. And unless you tell the parents, this is why. This is why you do it. And see these cranial nerves, they go over here. And that's placed on this. And if you do this, parents go, okay, I'll creep on my hands and knees. But if you don't tell them that, they'll go, okay, kid didn't want to do it today. Well, you know, you, you you get you, you you feel so excited about the fact that you can organically support the child as opposed to manage him. Mm-hmm. And I think managing is a lot harder than healing. You know. Yeah. To be fair. And to go along with that. So yeah, um especially, you know, in the situation when maybe it's an older child who typically isn't crawling anymore. You know, it's maybe been years since they since they were at the quote-unquote crawling, crawling stage, um, but they are missing, they missed it. Um, and, you know, as a therapist, I, I can tell um, with the older kids if they didn't crawl when they were little. Um, and so getting, convincing the parent, you know, like you said, through educating them on why it's important and why it will help, to have their eight-year-old crawl <laughs> is, you know, it's a big deal. Um, and yeah, they aren't going to see, yeah, they aren't going to see that. Um, why would my child who's so big now crawl? They were, they did that when they were a baby. And, and some of them don't even remember. Yeah. Yeah. Well, they could on the ball, they roll the kid, or they, or they pick them up in an orphanage. You know, we have a lot of kids that were adopted who they don't know what was the first year of the child's life. And so we call it going back to the future, because if you don't, if you have a child who's nine and now he's third grade and all of a sudden the wheels are off the wagon, 
you thought he might catch up, but everybody's getting older and he's continuing to fall behind. And now he can't really focus. He can't pay attention. He's struggling in school. He's starting to act out. He's not having a psychological problem. He's having a real one. I can't figure out how to read. I can't figure out how to contain myself. So we kind of educate the parents and then we actually demonstrate to them. We bring the child in, we teach them how to do it. And then we slowly build in the lower levels of the brain methodically. And then the capabilities of organization begin to emerge because we're actually in the parts of the brain that control those abilities. So we develop them through a well pathway. And sometimes it takes, you know, takes X amount of time, but because we're mapping the brain and we're measuring the brain every six months, we know exactly where we are. We're mapping all seven domains across five chunks of brain. And we, and we say to the parent, look, your child's neurological age when he came in the door was, you know, 41 months and he was, you know, 10 years old, 120 months old chronologically he's 10 years old but he actually had a neurological age of 41 months he really didn't play with others he really didn't have joint attention he really doesn't read bigger than a first grade level he you know by himself without you helping him he does run but it's disorganized his language is really broken sentences oh six months later now his neurological age is 40 49 months and he's 126 months. Oh, he grew nine months and six months. Well, okay, that's awesome because before he was only growing at 41%. Now he's growing at 122%. Well, that's three times faster. So the parents want things to be measured because it justifies what you're doing. And they, they don't mind having the gap between the neurological and chronological as long as they know over six months, a number of six months, that they're, they're beginning to catch up in the neurological age, as opposed to saying, yeah, Billy's better or Johnny's better. Well, how is he better? Is he, going, is he talking paragraphs? Can he understand them? Can he self-regulate? Can he look out for the needs of others? Can he, you know, X, Y, Z? So this is why we wrote the book so we could get it out there more and more like this is how this system works. It's like gravity. It's really down a mystery. But starting at the right place is important, but you can't do that until you map where you are. And then you know where you're going with your strategies, which are neurological as opposed to, you know, trying to manage the kids by everybody being in the house, being quiet. We understand management, but we have to be managing while we're restoring at the same time. And, you know, that kind of mm-hmm. balance there. Yeah. Yeah. Going back a little a little earlier, you mentioned about the um, starting at the lower brain and then working your way up. So can you describe a little bit? I know this is probably a loaded question, but can you describe some of the lower brain activities that, that you might use or what, some examples? Well, yeah, so we certainly, we, you know, as, as Matthew's saying, we measure, we teach parents how to measure the, the lower brain. And we, if we took, spend more time on measuring the lower parts of the brain and teaching that and the importance of that, because that's what's going to hold things back uh, from the cortex developing and all the higher level skills developing. Um, so we, we measure the visual pathway. We measure children's tracking ability. 
and um, to see, okay, how are they doing with tracking? How are they doing with using their eyes together? As Matthew said, those those things get developed through crawling and creeping. Um, but from a visual standpoint, some children don't see. So if they don't see, we're measuring where they are on the seeing pathway, and then we're saying, okay, what what at what point do we intervene with the visual therapy here? Uh, and you've got to really know where the child is. And many times parents don't know. They don't know, does my child see color? I have no idea if they see color. I have no idea if they see black and white. Uh, let's check and see if they can at least see a light. They don't so have an idea if they have a light reflex. Yeah. 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 So they're checking from the very beginning and check, we're checking each part of the brain, the lower parts of the brain. And then we are, um, then we develop a treatment plan. So we have a treatment plan which intervenes at the right point sometimes we're checking in the beginning with the first therapeutic levels of vision to find out exactly where the child is and what they do and don't see um, and then the stimulation is targeted at what they can see well and then challenging them with what they don't see very well but that's their next step so if they're seeing black and white and they're kind of interested in black and white simple but they're not interested in anything with any detail added so black and white from detail, we're going to be starting with simple black and white shapes and then developing their ability to see detail by starting to expose them and challenge them uh, with that. We do the same thing in the auditory pathway, looking at the low levels of do they have a startle reflex, do they have a fearful response, how are they doing with sound. So Matthew had mentioned kids putting their hands over their ears. So we have sound treatments where we're targeting is the child oversensitive or undersensitive? They don't know how to locate. They don't know what the sounds are. So specifically intervening with training sounds, but very, very clear as to, okay, we're going to use these many sounds, these many times a day, and be really watching. We're not going to move on to add new sounds until the child starts to respond to these. So not too much variety, enough variety to keep interest there, but, not, but enough that we can get the frequency, intensity, and duration of the stimulation in to make the change in the brain uh, for the child. So we look at each sensory area and then the different parts of the brain. And as Matthew also talked about with the calling and the creeping, that's an important component because if the child is mobile, we're going to be wanting them to be doing the physical activity that's also going to be growing that part of the brain because the sensory pathway will, the, the stimulation that we give to the sensory pathway is going to stick and it's going to become more organized and develop faster if we've got a mobility action happening, happening input-wise simultaneously for the child. Mm. Yes. So we all we check the 25 infant reflexes, like mm -hmm. the Babkin reflex, the hand-supporting reflex, the head-running reflex, the Babinski, the tendon guard, the trunk extension, you know, all those gait reflexes, we check all those to make sure which ones are happy, which ones are not integrating into the brain. And then we'll check the pattern of the crawling, we'll check the pattern of the creeping, we'll check their running and see how that pattern, we'll check their laterality, whether they're really left-eyed, left-eared, left-footed, left eared and we'll just keep recording and mapping that, that motor pathway, and we'll map how is this child talking? What vowels he has, what consonants he has? Is it the fact that he can't make the sound because of his tongue not being mobile enough? Or is it because he doesn't have enough sensory information within his mouth? Is that a tactile issue? Or is it an auditory issue? He cannot hear the sounds. It could be a combination of all three. And then we map out his limbic brain, which is 40% of your brain, obviously, for sense of smell regulates. And we had a child yesterday that he did not smell anything that was rude. 
anything that was foul smelling, he couldn't smell it. And then when I gave him a smell, it took him 15 seconds for his brain to register like fennel or peppermint or spearmint. And so it's important to know, oh, meanwhile, the child has a problem regulating. Meanwhile, the child has a problem of caring whether somebody gives them affection. So that whole mature pathway of getting along with others and accepting affection runs through your sense of smell. So we'll map out that pathway. And some kids are strong in their visual pathway. They can read, they can understand, but emotionally they're not really strong. And these kids will fall on the spectrum. Some kids are super smart, super charming, but they can't move and they'll be diagnosed with cerebral palsy. We'll say midbrain injury. Some kids are the same all the way down the chart and they'll categorize as ADHD. Some kids are super sweet, but they're super floppy and they have problems with their language and they'll be diagnosed with Down syndrome. And so you'll have, so these kids will be all over the, the chart is all over the place. But as soon as parents go, oh, you could be high in the sensory areas and low in, low in the motor areas. That's some kids. Some kids are high in the motor areas and poor in the sensory areas. Oh, so when you map that all out, then we'll crawl with the children, we'll creep with the children, I'll decide what reflexes the kid needs, and then we'll teach those to the parents why and how to do that. Cal will teach the education and the social, how to help the child socially, and how to create boundaries and social responsibilities according to the child's neurological capacity, which parents are desperate for. Like They don't really know how to discipline their child because there's inconsistencies in the child's brain function. So the child one day is like this and one time the child's like this. So how do you discipline in a wise way without feeling like you just crushed your child or the child is just running the home? Because there are some kids that will run the home. The house is on fire every day. Well, how do you how do you get ahead of that fire? <laughs> like, okay. I just, one kid runs the whole family, and all seven of us are traumatized by this child. Now, the child's not making it up. They're so disorganized, they, they can't even control themselves. How are they going to kind of fit in? So, Carol's role, which is a typical one, but she does it brilliantly, is how do I support the social competency of the mother and the father in relationship to the child? And how, how do I get everybody to win here? Um, while still supporting the neurology of a child and, um, you know, integrating the diet and all that. So it's, it's comprehensive, but it works because the parents are really invested in the outcome. I see, yeah. I see it so much. I mean, even yesterday, um, you know, a family that you just, you feel for them because they're, they're struggling so much with, um, you know, just, things that they can't, they can't help. They don't know what to do. And, um, for example, like the, the child may scream just for, we don't know why, you know, what, what happened to make them do that, um, and just be terribly upset. Um, and you know, the, the parents become, like you said before PTSD, like they, they don't, they're just kind of like frazzled. Mm -hmm. Um, and like almost shut down themselves and like, I don't even, they just want to kind of walk out. Like, I don't know, I don't know what to do. So I just need a break. And, um, it's just, it's heartbreaking to see that. And especially being, you know, out an outsider to their family to kind of see it more objectively, um, of, you know, here's, 
here's what might be going on, some things. And of course, you know, you guys are doing all this in your program background and, and all those things, um, the, the seven things that you're evaluating. And when we're at home, we just kind of, we, we know what we know and we, we go with as much information as we can gather from them. Um, but you know, a lot of times we have at least some, some starting points. Um, and it's, it's really, you know, a big focus is, is the parent. And sometimes that's, that's our session is really communicating with the parent and helping them deal with it, deal with the, you know, what they have going on in their home 24 seven. Right. Right. Yeah. I think sometimes, you know, it's, it's, it's great when we can map the child on their developmentally and say, okay, um, from a strategy standpoint, you know, you have these expectations because your child is five years old or four or whatever they are. You can, you can, you know, you can see, okay, we, we as parents might be expecting this child who's chronologically five years of age to behave in a certain way. And when as a therapist, we can step in and say, yeah, you have those expectations, but look at neurologically where your child is and how they're functioning. And if they've got these sensory areas that are a problem, then it's going to be hard for them to regulate themselves or hard for them to manage noisy environments. So we can come alongside the parents and say, we, we need to kind of break this down a little bit and we have to kind of lower the bar and have different expectations. It's not that we shouldn't expect behavior to be a certain way and expect life to get better for the parents, but we might be shooting a little too high if the child's not getting the point because we haven't broken it down for them and met that strategy at the right level because we understand neurologically where they are. But I think also you're right. There are times where, you know, the child might scream or certain things. You can say, well, it could be this or it could be this, or it could be, but for even to say as a therapist, we don't know necessarily either, but let's create a strategy. Let's create a way to support you. So let's try this first. So at least we can give the parent a tool and say, we're going to try to attack it this way because of our experience, we know that this often works with children. So, you know, we, as much as possible, we want to know why a child behaves a certain way. So we're getting to the root cause, but when we don't know why, then we're going to at least have, give you some kind of tool to, to try. Um, and Matthew mentioned the smells. I use the smells, and, and we use the smells a lot, just to regulate a child. It's an, it's, it just, if nothing, or to regulate you as the parent. I am really stressed right now. I'm going to leave and take a smell with you. <laughs> so have, a little, have a little lavender or peppermint in your pocket and use yeah. that yourself because it'll help you feel, it'll help you get through this moment of not knowing and, uh, you know, and, and, I, and when, when you're addressing all the different things, eventually you do get to the point, you know what, I think my child might be screaming because maybe there's a digestive issue. When you're looking at those, all those pieces, um, then you sometimes can, then you can start to say, ah, oh, I've just changed food or there's a new food we added yesterday. Um, so, it, it, yeah. There's lots of things. So this is why we, you have a hard, you have it harder than we do in that we, by design, say, if we're going to work with you, we need you to see the whole brain because otherwise, I mean, you see, parents walk in the door and I say, look, you know your kid. You just don't know where to put the boxes. If I ask you 50 questions, you can tell me the answers. And you don't know how the intertwine. You don't know how that puzzle fits. So let's just sit down. I'll explain to you that this part does this, this part does this, this part does this. So for us, when we evaluate a child, it takes us three hours. 
because we're actually, they understand the brain. So then when the brain emerges, everybody has a sigh of relief. Oh, you don't want my kids scream for this reason or this reason. You have a more difficult situation because you've got one hour to figure out what am I seeing? How do I develop a strategy that they can, you know, it could be the person, the family needs to develop more routines because they're all over the place. The morning routines, while the afternoon routines are inconsistent, the evening routines are inconsistent, the child's disorganized, he needs more routines. So maybe he doesn't have, or maybe there's, there's a particular sound in the environment that blows him up, or cows that maybe it's digestion that blows him up. Mm-hmm. Maybe there's a smell, mommy's infusing smells in the house at the child, because a lot of children on the spectrum, they hate smelling. You wear any perfume, you wear anything in your hair, they're going to run and run through the door to get away from you. Um, and it burns their brain as if they're having a headache. Or, you know, we do a lot of cranial sacral work and myofascial work in, in the office. So we're all trained in cranial sacral myofascial work. Their brain can be really, really tight. They could have, you know, from, some fascia issues in their neck. And all of us are trained in multiple fields of, of that type of work so we can support the brain function of, of the kid. So you're right. It's complicated. You have a, it's complicated. Complicated. With, with a, you know. Complicated. Yeah. Yeah. This is why we wrote a book. This is why we wrote a book. This is why we have all our courses online now. So the parents can breathe and sit down and say, look, I really need to figure this child out here neurologically. Um, and then when I figure, when I can see his brain, and know that that's his brain and, and that's my kid. They're two different people. My child, Billy, is a nice kid, but his brain is blowing up. Could be inflammation. Could be, you know, 50% of your neurotransmitters for your brain are mainly your large intestines. He could have a gluten intolerance. He could have an intolerance to mold. He could be eating a lot of sugar and fruit. So he has candida in his large intestines, as Cal said. He could have problems with his detoxification panels in his liver. He could be constipated, which lowers your brain cycle. So as Cal's point about digestion comes up a lot with the Mm -hmm. kids. Just parents feed the kids what they want. Well, not even that. I mean, we had a child just just a couple of weeks ago who, you know, had behavior issues on the days he didn't poop, and she they were that was that that was a big struggle for them. Um, They got him. They got him eating now, and he was eating fairly well. um, Of Obviously, he needed some adjustments because he wasn't pooping every day and needed help to be able to poop and had to take a Merillax or something to get him to poop. And he had to do it because if he didn't, he's not pooping and then then he doesn't function well on those days. And uh, those are real challenges for parents. Yeah. And, and, so, and for our doctors, that's why we have doctors and nutritionists on the team say, so you, you've got to work this out because we, we can't do our job so well and the parents can't, can't get through their days. Yeah, it's a team effort. I mean, that's why Carol and I aren't smart enough to be by ourselves. Right. We have to surround ourselves with really smart people, get everybody in the same room and say, team, we got to help this family from Oregon. We got to help this family from Hong Kong and this family from Australia. You know, this kid's going off the wall. This kid's over here. This this guy's got his legs so tight wrapped around his neck. He's hurting the midbrain, so he needs this diet. This kid's on the spectrum. He needs that diet. This kid's attention deficit. This kid's got it. There's different diets for different brains. Mm-hmm. You know, and, you just, and working in a team helps us not to hyperventilate too because, you know, you just surround yourself with smart people and you kind of figure it out as a team. 
which is why we developed a team um, effort, you know, to work through this. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think it's awesome. Um, it's, you know, our program in Missouri, we work as a team um, for early intervention, but our team is missing um, physicians. And that's, that's, I think, the hardest thing for us being being in the homes and doing what we do, I mean, we have a lot of collaboration with, you know, the the teachers and the, the SLPs, the PTs and the OTs and nutrition on our teams. But um, we have to rely on the parents to go see their doctors or the specialists at the children's hospital and then to bring the information back to us <laughs> in a way that, you know, that we can... Uh, figure it out and figure out well what what did they say what does that you know because the parents are are not always great at being able to explain it back you know they may understand it while they're there listening to the doctor but then bringing it home and trying to explain it to us um, sometimes it's really hard you know just just to get it out there Um, so that is one of the hardest things for us in the home is not having that piece of it necessarily. Um, and, and also there in our area, at least we haven't found one doctor that kind of knows a lot of it. So they have to go to multiple different specialists and then those people don't communicate, um, with each other most of the time. So, um, you know, that's, that's really hard. I mean, we do, we do have, I guess at, two of the hospitals, they do have developmental teams where they do evaluations and they, they stuff like that, but um, it's not as comprehensive as it sounds like what you guys have going on, which is great. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, we realize that you can't, you can't heal the brain unless you bring that inflammation within the brain. And every, every hurt child has inflammation. If you're on the spectrum, you have inflammation in your brain if you've got attention deficit disorder diagnosis or obsessive compulsive disorder diagnosis, you have inflammation in the brain too. If you have traumatic brain injury, you have inflammation in the brain. So we we realized early on, just even going back as early as work with Adele Davis, who wrote the first books um, back in the 30s, 30s, 40s, and 50s about inflammation and using certain nutritional things and Linus Pauling introducing the concepts of vitamin C to bring down inflammation um, all the way up into to today with the various ways which we need to detoxify kids off heavy metals. We need to open up the liver and heal the kidneys. This is a big part of healing is seeing it and showing it to the parents and shifting the diet in a way which everybody wins where, you know, they're not traumatized by, oh, we can't have chocolate milk. Well, not at this particular moment because sugar creates inflammation in the brain. Milk, for some kids, casein just blows up their large intestines. So why don't we shift to oat milk? Why don't we shift, you know, this food, cornflakes? Why don't we shift this to a couple of eggs in the morning for breakfast you know he doesn't like it okay let's figure this out so we give them a diet and then they go home and then they give us a diet sheet back in a week in a, in a couple of weeks and um slowly as carol said change your sense of smell mm-hmm. because some kids won't eat food because it smells disgusting and that's their limbic brain 
coincidentally, they have emotional issues. Well, it's the same part of the brain. So you're right. It's a it's a it's a tricky it's a tricky endeavor. So um, which is why we spend so much time trying to figure out in the in the book the major chapter is nutrition. Right before we start saying, okay, let's heal the brain. There's nutrition right there, and we're trying to create a way to, to give it to parents without them balking. You know, well, my kid won't eat that. Well, let's, you know, yeah. Yeah, it's understanding that, you know, you say the child, you can have a wonderful ideal strategy for behavior or a wonderful ideal, you know, nutritional plan. And then you've got to be able to, then if you understand the child's brain and what the oversensitivities are or the challenges are with getting them to eat that food, then you can say, okay, this is ideal. We're not there yet. Let's take one vegetable. Let's just start with one. One vegetable, we'll learn to smell it. We'll put it on the plate and be okay with looking at it. You know, just mm-hmm. really breaking that down. Uh, but knowing because we're coming in mm-hmm. with the strategy being brain-based, then we're changing the brain. And as we go along, then the child then, oh, one step at a time. Yeah, maybe taking one thing yeah, out and yeah. one thing in. Yeah, I mean, I can think of it. We're working with a child that we've worked with for many, many years. Not a child anymore, a young adult. And... Um, he he has this wonderful project with his mom where they actually, I think it's like once a week or once a month, they take a country and they learn about the country and then they cook a, cook a, uh, a meal from that country and he dresses up and uh, he, he gets really delves into that country and dresses up and then eats that meal. That child, when he was younger, when we first knew him, we could not get him. He only ate hot dogs. That was, yeah, it. That was it. And, you, and it was years of hot dogs. Before we got hot dogs and rice, and now he's eating such Italian, a Italian yeah, and yeah. loving it and really enjoying it. And that mom did not give up. Well, we didn't give up. We didn't she give didn't up give either. Up. We she didn't, didn't give, give up, up together. Right? <laughs> right. Yeah. Team <laughs> effort. And we all love the kid. You can love the child. You go. You know what? We're not giving up here. We're, right. We're, this is a long-term thing. If we continue to work together, and the brain grows by you then we can slowly take this out out of a dark place and we can bring him step by step and navigate him into a bigger place. Because if we don't, he's going to have this neurological issue for the rest of his life because... Well, the health issues he would have now and and young people have now who maybe have stayed on that diet and only eat hot dogs, it's going to to catch up to you sooner or later. Your brain just collapsed. Yeah, yeah. He would not be functioning as well as he is. If he'd stayed on just hot dogs, yeah, yeah. Um, and that's just you know we've got multiple kids we can think of like that, but to, it's really supporting the parents to, to be able to get through that and know it's okay, take it one step at a time. But yep, typical children, you lay out the food and you know they're going to pick what they want to eat, and over time they're going to, you know, much faster than a child who's neurologically challenged. They will take on more foods if they're not neurologically challenged, but if they are. The pace is different. The frequency and the intensity is different. The way we present things go a little slower, um, and you'll get there. And just for for us as therapists to be able to come alongside those parents and educate them and support them that process, um, just uh, it's so so important. Yeah, I mean, our third child we adopted had a sugar addiction, and we adopted her. Um, her brain was in, was in trouble. She cried a lot when we adopted her, and she was in, she was in deep trouble. And she had a sugar addiction. I mean, we didn't have any sugar in the house. So she would go to her favorite neighbors and she would 
you know, get sugar. When we went to church, we'd find it over by the, the coffee thing, you know, putting sugar in milk and drinking it underneath the table. Um, you know, we, instead of punishing her, we just, we just kept maneuvering her out of this thing. And of course it helped medicate her brain when she had the sugar, but in the end it blew up her brain. So it was like a, a momentary medication. And then you just had a child who was, you know, angry and frustrated and wasn't thinking. So it's, it's educating the parents. It's staying relentless in your love for the families and trying to figure out ways that you can develop a way for them to heal. And, um, of course they communicate with us every month. We have a team member completely dedicated to keeping in touch with parents and calling them up once a month. Hey, you doing okay? <laughs> you doing okay? Do you have any questions for the team? Um, because some parents, they just get into a bunker. They forget that they can get help. So we've over the years, come up with ways which we can support the families and um, bring our team together and try to come up with new ideas that are all scientifically based um, that will get us to a yes eventually if we continue down that pathway. Mm-hmm. Which, is, which is, again, why we wrote the book and any common sense out of the system. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. One of our mothers is a, um, an occupational therapist um, and she has a master's degree, and she started a program to Dominion where our course is online, and occupational therapists can get CE points for taking the course through this um, program. So um, her name is Carolyn Catalano. She has a big practice in New York. Her child is on the program, and um, and she is... She took this interactive training program, which is a two-day training that we gave to professionals and worked out with the Occupational Therapy Association on how to get CE points for OTs. So that's something that may, you know, be helpful, like, for for your team, you know, the groups that you're working with. Yeah. Well, thank you for having us. Thank you for reaching out to us. And and, um, we love working with folks. And we we we. We think this is important that we all share information and we all try to do our best to help the families get into the driver's seat and not feel alone. And, um, you know, even at birth, you know, first couple of days of life, you can start looking at your child. And we all compare our kids, but we compare them to make sure they're on the right track as opposed to judging that. And, um, you know, we thank you for reaching out to us. We're, 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 we just love helping people and the therapists ourselves, and we're always looking for ways that we can do this in a high-level way and re-engineer it and give it to parents. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. I wanted to say thank you again to Matthew and Carol Newell for joining me today and taking the time out of their busy schedule to do this interview for us. Those of you who want to find out more about the Newells and the work they are doing, You can find the links to their sites either in the notes for today's show in your podcast app or on my website, mymidwesttherapy.com. Thank you for listening and have a great day.